Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 539, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Lorraine Sink, Agent of Chaos. And I am JMI, and so glad to be back. Yo, man, Nick, Ryan, Ryan, go back, go back. Do the intro one more time, man. Give, give the, I, it's been a long time since I've been here. Give the people a hello, Marvelites. Give, give, give them a big one. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> hello, Marvelites. Yes, that? that's it. Like that's, that? yeah. See, that's why we need James back because when James is here, he's keeping us honest. <laughs> he's bringing the energy. He's bringing the Broadway glow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just missed that. It's like I want that as my cell phone ring. I just missed that. Hello, Marvelites. Hello. Yeah, that's it, Ryan. That's my boy Ryan. James, it's always good to have you back on the show. Thank uh, you. What you been doing? What's, what? Give us something new yeah. and big and exciting from the world of James Monroe Iglehart. I am currently uh, Billy Flynn in Chicago on Broadway, which is 25 years of Chicago on Broadway. It's the longest running American musical in Broadway history. Uh, I got to host 50 years of Broadway at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. with some of the biggest Broadway legends of all time. If you ever heard of a show called Annie, Andrea McCardle, who's the original Annie, was there. We had LaShans was there, Tony Award winning LaShans. We had Francis Raphael, who's the original Eponine from the original, original Tony Award winning, Grammy Award winning Eponine from Les Mis. Also, we had for people who love Book of Mormon, we had Andrew Rannells who actually sang, I believe, and the place went crazy. Aww. So it was just so, so cool, the amount of wonderful performers that we had. And we got to be at the legendary Kennedy Center, just like tear the house down for two nights for a concert. And they let me, moi, host the thing. So it was kind of amazing. But I have missed you guys. You wonderful fans, you hear our voices, but you don't get to see these smiling, amazing faces of these two wonderful Dorian Gray-like Marvel characters who do not age. I have known them for years, and uh, you've seen pictures of me on my Instagram or Twitter, and I keep getting grayer, and these two wonderful people keep getting younger. I think it's because they work around all these amazing characters, so it's kind of cool to be around you guys. No, I'm an energy vampire. Um, That's how I'm doing it. Just ciphering Um. energy off people. I'm just spending time with a two-year-old, and that's just That's true. Part of me is aging very quickly, and part of me is staying <laughs> young forever. So it's it's a real weird dichotomy there. Basically, what he's saying is his smile will stay the same, but his knees will not be the same by 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what Catherine Grace's like high school graduation year is going to be? You know what? Go to Helen Burn. I don't even want to talk about this. Ooh, that was so good. Uh, oh, that's the <laughs> spicy <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Oh, that was so good. I haven't thought about that yet. <laughs> Oh, no. Just imagine what Ryan's mustache will look like when his daughter goes graduates from high school. <laughs> oh. You're gonna look us. like Mark Twain. Oh boy, James. Look like Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to work. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, let's do this because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, games, comics, movies, TV, whatever we're excited about, and more. And we got a lot to talk about yeah. this week, a lot of news, a lot of exciting, and we got some cool guests. Lorraine, who's on the show? This week, we are going to give a little twin phone ring over to our friends at Hasbro to talk about their new Hasbro Pulse wave of some cool Marvel Legends action figures. Uh, plus, we've got Nate Cordry from Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow uh, later on in the episode talking about that wonderful new podcast. So definitely stay tuned. Lots of delicious yum yum news to come. Delicious yum yum yum. yum I love that. I love that. <laughs> Speaking of delicious yum yum news, 
there was a, a little bit of a news about the Spider-Man No Way Home home entertainment release. What are the dates for Spidey? The dates are for digital March 22nd and on 4K UHD and Blu-ray on April 12th. I can't wait. Oh, I know. Well, especially because there is going to be over 80 minutes of new and behind the scenes content. It includes 20 minutes of more spoiler characters, along with hilarious outtakes and bloopers from the set. So definitely go pre-order the film now. They did post a really fun image yeah. of the... And spoilers! If you haven't seen Spider-Man yeah. No Way Home yet... I mean, come on, guys. If you haven't... That is, a, that is the spoiler. You know that what? is the I'll spoiler. I'll just say, don't go online at all. Yeah. yeah. Or look at things. Ever right. again. Ever Until again. you Ever see again. the movie. <laughs> go to the theater now or just right wait now. until March 22nd to get yeah. it on digital. That's the soonest you can get it. But they posted a great image with three characters from the film. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, well, well <laughs> yeah. played. Well played, sir. Also, if you're in the mood for some movie goodness, Marvel Studios Assembled The Making of Eternals is now available on Disney+. Plus. These are so fun. They're those sort of documentaries that really look into the making of the different films and Disney Plus series. Definitely go over and watch it because how they created this film is really, really cool. I got to do a VFX piece with the VFX supervisor of Marvel Studios Eternals a while back. You can watch that over on Marvel.com or the YouTube channel. But man, oh man, they did some cool stuff. The villain is a CGI character. So definitely go and watch how they did that because it's real cool. I will say that for anybody who is interested in, in, in filmmaking or you know that kind of genre, Marvel Studios Assembled is one of the best uh, movie making documentaries I've ever seen because it's not just sitting back and talking to the actors. You actually get to see like from start to finish where the director, where the writer and the producers came in and said, okay, this is what we're going to go, where we're going to, what we're going to do. And you kind of get to see it step by step as they do it. So for all you filmmakers or interested or people who watch the films and go, I wish I could do that. This is a great place to start to kind of just get into what it takes to make these wonderful film projects that we all know and love. And if you're excited about, you know, behind the scenes stuff for Marvel Studios, stay tuned to This Week in Marvel, y'all. We got some fun stuff yeah. we're cooking up. It's going to be good. Something that you guys can take a look at right now. We have new content coming to Marvel HQ. Of course, Marvel HQ is our family-friendly content area. It's youtube.com slash Marvel HQ. And we just revealed a first look at Mech Strike Monster Hunter's Eye of Doom. It's going to be a 10-part series of motion comics. So it's sort of like animated comics and it's so yeah. fun i'm really excited for folks to see it there's some really cool costumes that the characters are going to get to wear the whole premise is essentially that doom has this magical eye that he uses to turn all of the villains into big scary monsters of course then the heroes have to come up with their own solution which is to also become big crazy monsters so it's a really fun yeah. story i'm excited for everyone to check it out and we're going to have a lot more content coming out in 2022 looking into the world of Marvel monsters, science, battles between the characters. It's going to be super fun. Definitely go check it out. We have our first look up now of Eye of Doom. You can check that out at marvelhq.com or youtube.com slash marvelhq. And look out if you're not in the U.S. We will be having more content in multiple languages for fans around the world. So keep an eye out for those coming to your area too. Lorraine, I, I love that title, but I want to give you my version of it. Okay, great. Mech Strike Monster Hunters, Eye of Doom. Honestly, Ryan, that is the vibe. Yeah. That is the vibe. It reminds me of those cartoons where you see action figures like in the 80s. 
And like they would, they would, that, that would come up first, and the little kids would be like, I have Doom! I've got you, Doom! And they just play with the action figures. That was really cool. Thank you for the flashback, Ryan. You're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of action figures, let's talk to some friends from Hasbro, because this week, the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, they had a live stream all about Marvel, and so our friends from Marvel Legends were showing off some cool stuff. Let's, uh, what, what do you think? Let's call them up and get them to tell us a little bit about what they showed. Please. Yeah, we should call up our friends Ryan and Dwight. Uh, Ryan Ting, of course, is the senior manager of global product development and marketing for Hasbro, and Dwight Stahl is their principal designer. I'll fire up the twin phone. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Ring, 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 ring. Hasbro phone. Ring, 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 ring. Hasbro phone. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, Ryan, Dwight, I'm so glad that you're just both sitting by the phone answering at the same time because you're exactly who we wanted to talk to. Fancy that. Eagerly awaiting. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we have Rugged Ryan Ting and Dangerous Dwight Stahl from Hasbro here. Y'all did the Hasbro Pulse live stream this week, which was wonderful. Lots of fun stuff. I just want to run through things. First up, let's talk about Spider-Man Future Foundation, the new stealth suit. Yeah, so this is a busy time of year. A lot of Toy Fair reveals. We can't be there in person, but we had a whole host of reveals earlier this week on the Pulse live stream. And the first one up, as you said, the Future Foundation stealth suit. This is all grouped into our uh, celebration of Spider-Man and his 60th anniversary this year. And so, Dwight, tell them what's new and interesting about this version of Future Foundation Spidey. Unstable molecules, baby. Unstable <laughs> molecules. Relatable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Quite a few years ago, we did his more proper white version. So now we're doing the inverted costume, which he had for a few of the issues back in the day. And it's mostly a primarily black suit with white accents now, which is really striking. I mean, it's a real cool variation for that costume and the Future Foundation. All of those suits were ridiculous with deco. So this one has a lot of deco all over him with all the white and black trimming. But um, he looks really cool on a far improved base body from where we were back in the day. So, you know, big upgrade all around and a cool new variation. That is a very cool Spidey, but he is not the only Spidey that you guys shared. What can you tell us about the Spider-Man retro wave and who we're going to see there? Yeah, so fans have been loving when we do these very Toy Biz-inspired six-inch legends on the old-school blister cards, and we've done a couple of line looks so far from X-Men and you know Spider-Man most recently. So we have a new wave of Spider-Man retro out now that fans are loving. This has the black costume, classic symbiote, right? It has Hammerhead, Ben Riley. But what we revealed on Monday was an awesome new oversized Rhino, and this figure looks amazing on the oversized blister card, and it's actually a quite notable update to the previous version, which was a more modern take back in 2015. He was a Build-A-Figure, but now fans can just go get the uh, new classic Rhino in one fell swoop here with a lot of new pieces, right, Dwight? Yeah, we gave him uh, some new head sculpts, more classic than the last one. The last Rhino we did as a Build-A-Figure was heavily inspired by, um, I believe, David Finch. We used some of his cool art for the ridiculously extreme Rhino head. So we wanted to go back and make something a little bit more classic, a little bit more reminiscent of the early days and the animations and things that were a little bit simpler and cleaner. So we've got the blacked out eyes on the side of his head now from the Rhino mask and some new expressions for him. So... He looks really cool, but to go back and pay homage to the past greatness of Toy Biz and take those incredibly vivid card backs and update them and tweak them a little bit, but to use them on Legends has been a lot of fun for the last few years. We have some figures here inspired by Marvel Studios' What If? What are we going to see from that line? 
Yeah, so we revealed that the Disney Plus wave for later this year will have a Build-A-Figure, and that Build-A-Figure will be Infinity Ultron from the first season of What If. So that was, you know, a crazy series, took us in a lot of different directions, and I think Dwight and team did an amazing job on this really imposing, impressive Build-A-Figure here you see with his humongous lance, as I think Dwight described it. Yeah, he's about seven inches tall. I think the actual toy is even more chromed out than it reads in those images. Shiny and metallic-ish, as Ultron should be, obviously. Yeah. And what's part of that wave? Yeah, so back before the new year, as Hawkeye was on the air, we revealed the first two legends from that show. So we have a new Disney Plus Hawkeye Clint Barton and the very first Kate Bishop Marvel Legends character, which is very exciting. But we didn't announce how they would be coming out. But so now we're kind of putting two things together where there will be a wave and Kate and Clint will both be in the wave separately as individual figures and they will have an Infinity Ultron Build-A-Figure piece. And uh, more details to come on what else could be in that wave. Disney Plus is keeping us very busy with a lot of shows and, and you know Moon Knight right around the corner. So who knows? But fans this year will definitely have Infinity Ultron to battle the Watcher and Captain Carter and the likes of the other what if figures that came out in 2021 man i gotta say the face sculpts on these are so sick all of them are so good i got a thing for capes and so this cape on ultron is, is just mad sweet man i'm <laughs> this is so cool <laughs> look i've talked about it before on the show marvel studios what if one of my favorite things i love that first wave of figures that y'all did very cool now we're big fans of the 90s x-men animated series and those designs of those characters Oh, man. How about that storm, James? Listen, that thing is beautiful. There's just something about the nostalgia of having a VHS box and then be able to open it up and then see just that beautiful sculpture of that wonderful, amazing, legendary woman. I, I love it. I think it's fabulous. Thanks. Yeah. And for this line, you know, we're, we're taking inspiration from that original 1992 animated series. So when Dwight and the team, for example, the Wolverine one that has been previously revealed, they went back the team and sculpted two new heads in that animated style with the mask. And for this new Storm figure that we revealed, she's got the 90s big poofy white hair that fits perfectly with, I think, yeah. this cell shaded deco <laughs> on the, you know, matte white kind of costume there. I got to say, you are really doing some excellent work because Wolverine comes with the picture of Scott and Jean that he stares at in the bed <laughs> so iconically. And that is chef's kiss. Love it. It's the saddest accessory we've ever included uh, <laughs> to date. It's, it's so tremendous. Good. It's is as it should be. You know, that picture frame comes apart, too. So you can put your own long lost love in there and no. uh, you, can, you can put that on your toys <laughs> no. as well. So. Oh. Oh. I love it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the big Avengers wave of stuff because there's a whole bunch more that you guys talked about on the stream. Yeah, so we had this big Avengers wave. There's kind of three buckets, I would say, when we look to do waves. Like one, right, is new characters that have never had a toy before. That's always exciting. Two is an update to a character that might have come out in Legends many years ago. And the quality and the articulation and the detailing is so much more improved these days. So we go back and take another pass at it. And then the third group is iconic characters who have a lot of different costumes, and we're always doing new versions of those costumes. And we're covering off all three of those types in this wave. So I guess first up, all new characters, never before had a figure. We'll kick it off, Dwight, with um, how about Blue Marvel? He's a really popular character that fans have been asking for forever. Yeah, Dr. Brasher turned out really cool. It's a blast to do new figures, you know. I like adding one more spot on my shelf with something new that's never been there before. So getting a chance to do Blue Marvel after all these years was really cool. We chose his more modern look that was mostly seen in the Ultimates universe. Uh, really strong and heroic the way he should. 
I like him. What do you guys think? He's amazing. He's one of my favorite characters that we don't get to see enough of. I gotta say, I was super pumped to see Blue Marvel. I also fully geeked out for this quake that you guys showed off. It's giving me Secret War early 2000s for her introduction. That look is so iconic. I just love it. It's really fun when we get to do removable parts like those Quake gauntlets that very easily slip off and you can put on the normal hands and get your Maria Hill figure. So if fans want just to get one and have the option of which character or go out and get two and then you can guarantee, you know, you have both Maria Hill and Quake on the shelf there. It's just so well done. Let's move over to Iron Man because I saw artist Cafu. He was very excited because he was like, oh, man, there's a figure of the character I've been drawing that was designed by Alex Ross, that kind of joy and surprise was really neat. Talk about this Iron Man figure. So yeah, so this was a new Iron Man. This is the Mark 70, I believe, you know, famously designed by Alex Ross. And so this is, you know, one of the key characters in the wave here. And you can always use another Iron Man or so we hear. Yeah, you got to keep filling out that Hall of Armors, you know. Yes, we do get a lot of Iron Man out there, but he's got a lot of armors, and he's one character that no matter how many Iron Man you buy, they all can live on your shelves at the exact same time because you never know if Tony's in the armor, if Rhodey's in the armor, if somebody different is in an armor, or if it's just an armor piling in itself or just sitting on a vault in the wine cellar somewhere, right? So <laughs> it's a, yes, we do a lot of them, but it is a character that always has a home because you just never know what's going on inside that suit. Well, you know, there are so many costumes and things that we get to see in the comics, and we don't get to see them actualized in any physical space until usually they become toys, or occasionally we'll get to see them in a film. But, you know, one I was really excited to see was the Herald of Galactus version of Thor that we've seen, you know, in Donny Cates' run a few years ago coming to life. Could you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, I really love this Thor and, you know, oh, wow, what a coincidence. We have a giant world eater coming out, you know, uh, <laughs> in the uh, end of the year. So, you know, it seemed like it was a good timing to do that. And there are a couple variations of it, which give us an opportunity to revisit down the line with both the powered up Herald version versus the normal bare armed version, et cetera, et cetera. So it gives us a chance to dive into it, have a lot of fun, make something all new for Thor and a really nice new Thor for your uh, shelves. Let's round out some of these. We've got U.S. agent with like the gnarliest scowl on his face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is another update one, which came out close to 10 years ago now, the first time, and it has never really been updated. But the guys put him on a kind of beefier body here. And yes, a very mean scowl with, you know, a new head and no A emblazoned on the top there. Yeah. And um, shout out to Speedball with the best hair. Yeah, straight up. It's ever been. (laughs) It's so good. There's something about the goggles and just the smirk on his face, which is just like very satisfying. It's like, I love that we've got to that place where action figures just aren't just so bland. Like there's so much personality coming out of him. This is really, really cool, man. All right, let's finish this off with the last one, I think, of the figures, which is Madam Hydra. I'm looking at her right now. She's gorgeous. This is another update too, right, Dwight, from many years ago? Yeah, I think we did her last in 2012 when we were doing swappable figures. It was a swap pack between Madam Hydra and Madam Mask. So it was uh, Marvel's Madams, I believe, is what it was uh, called back <laughs> in the day. So getting uh, her back out, whether you want to call her Madam Hydra or Viper, whatever you're, you choose. She looks really cool. She's got a, a really striking uh, green and yellow costume. She's got some cool snakeskin pattern on her blasters which is just kind of a cool little extra detail 
once again gives you a nice update to a character you haven't had a version of for quite a few years, almost 10 years now. Heck yeah. And part of this wave is a Build-A-Figure, which we always love. That's my favorite thing. It's a good BAF. So who's the Build-A-Figure for this wave? This would be the Controller, which is a character I was not that familiar with, but looked him up. Very cool backstory. And Dwight and the team did an amazing job on this guy, particularly that mean old mug there. Yeah, I think Tony, one of our master model artists of the past, every once in a while he uh, dusts himself off and comes back to dive in and work on a figure himself. And he did the face for um, Controller, which is definitely the highlight of this figure. All that cracking, grizzled deco and stuff on his face is absolutely beautiful. It's a great looking figure. He's got alternate hands. One hand shows a couple of his control desk in him, which is obviously key to the character. It was a fun reuse of our uh, Thanos body, our deluxe classic Thanos. The the designs worked out really well because they're so close to each other. Ryan and Dwight, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on and talking about this stuff. And if people want to get their hands on these, where should they go right now to pre-order? Yeah, so most of these are available at the Hasbro Pulse and other retailers. The X-Men VHS series is a shared exclusive between Hasbro Pulse and Shop Disney, but everything else should be available you know, at, at multiple places at fans' convenience. So yeah, thanks for having us, guys, and hope to do this again soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Big thanks again to uh, Dwight Stahl and Ryan Ting and everyone on the uh, the Marvel Legends team. I expect we'll see uh, and talk to the Hasbro folks more this year. It is the 20th anniversary of Marvel Legends that they're celebrating. So some cool stuff, I imagine, on the way. Speaking of cool stuff, let's talk about the new Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder items. Lego has revealed that the first building set inspired by the upcoming film, join Thor, Mighty Thor, Valkyrie, and Korg aboard the mighty Viking ship as it soars through the skies. And it certainly wouldn't be known as the goat boat if not for two legendary goats at the helm. Let me think about this for a second. I am so, so excited. Besides, every time Lego comes out with something that's like based on the movie, I like trip out and then I try to get it and then my wife says no. (laughs) Y'all, can you imagine how great it's going to be to hear kids go, Mom, Dad, I want the goat boat. Yeah, thank you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want the goat boat. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, brand new Hasbro figures and toys, including three new additions to the Titan Hero series, Thor, Mighty Thor, and Korg, and Stormbreaker and Mjolnir Battle FX roleplay items. So we have these cool little items for the action figures. I mean, this is going to be cool. We are going to experience Marvel's Thor and Love and Thunder in theaters July 8th, 2022. I must say, I am really, really, really excited for this MCU film to come out. Let's keep on the toys and collectibles tip with some stuff that was revealed from Funko Fair 2022 because this past week Funko revealed dozens of brand new items that are now in stores that are arriving soon that are available for pre-order a whole bunch of stuff. There's a new wave of black light figures coming soon to Target, including Whoa. Scarlet Witch, Sylvie, Kate Bishop, a giant sized Infinity Killmonger yeah. uh, inspired wow. by Marvel Studios. What if and more I have. Somewhere around here, I have a Blacklight Magneto. Those are really cool Funkos. There's um, new t-shirts, pins, gift sets as well. Lorraine, you were just talking about the Marvel Avengers Mech Strike Monster Hunter stuff, and there's even some stuff from Funko. Yeah, these are going to be really cool. You know, I mentioned that they have those awesome new costumes where they've been monsterized. So this is going to be a really cool variant where the Avengers, of course, are clashing with Doctor Doom, and they have all been monstrously transformed into mythical-looking beast versions of themselves. 
definitely go check them out. If you love creepy crawlies and monsters, this is up your alley, man. Yeah, they also had these cool buildable scenes from Guardians of the Galaxy, from Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War. There's some Beyond Amazing collection stuff from Amazon and tons more. You can go to Marvel.com and check out all the Funko Fair stuff. We'll put a link in our show notes. There's a lot to look at in here. It's really, really cool stuff. Speaking of really cute stuff, 100Soft, who's a friend of Ryan and I's, just launched their Marvel emoji pins. So 100Soft, they make like the dumpster fires that are so cute that are like the little vinyls. But they also create the emojis for the MCU. So like when you hashtag Loki or alligator Loki or whatever, and you see that little emoji pop up on Twitter... That is created by 100Soft, and they have a brand new collection of pins that feature some of the characters from Phase 4, including Loki, Scarlet Witch, Captain Carter, the Winter Soldier, Shang-Chi, and and lots more. They're available now, so definitely go over. Um, You can see them on Marvel.com, or go follow at 100Soft on social media because they are absolutely awesome. You can check them out on Marvel.com and at 100Soft.shop. That's 100Soft.shop. Dot S-H-O-P is the website. And so right now, only available Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, and Lucky the Pizza Dog, with more coming over time. Highly recommend them all. Next up, I'm really excited for this Beyond Amazing, which is how we are celebrating Spider-Man's 60th anniversary. Um, we're going to be doing a special event. If you are a Marvel Unlimited Annual Plus member, you can attend for free, and there are going to be limited quantities of tickets for annual and annual plus tiered members. Go over to marvel.com for attendance details, but it's going to be a really fun virtual event where I'm going to be hosting and I'm going to be talking to some of the most legendary creators of Spider-Man comics and content of all time, so definitely don't miss it. That's going to be really fun and exciting. We're going to be celebrating Spidey's anniversary all year long, but that's a big tentpole event for it. You know who else is celebrating their 60th anniversary? Ant-Man. Wow. And we've got a brand new comic series for Ant-Man coming this year. It's an epic series that tackles the history and the future of the Ant-Man legacy, which is going to be super cool because the creative team on this is Al Ewing, who's been knocking out of the park with all his stuff. He's on Venom right now. He's doing uh, Immortal Hulk and so much more. And art, I am super duper excited because the art on this series is by Tom Riley, who has been working on this Ben Grimm Thing comic, the Thing series that's been coming out over the last couple of months. And I didn't know his work until I read his issues of the Thing, and it, he has become one of my favorite artists. So good. It's an incredible, incredible style. So I'm super duper excited about this. We get to flashback to the early days of Hank Pym's career as Ant-Man. You get to see Hank with Janet Van Dyne. There's all kinds of various things that are going on, really exploring that history of every hero called Ant-Man in this series. So it's going to be rad AF. Yeah, we also have something coming from outside of our hero universe. So, coming June 1st, the first stories of George R.R. Martin's Wild Card series of novels is getting adapted as comic books. And what better place than, of course, than here at the Marvel Family Limited series to be called Wild Cards, the Drawing Cards Number 1. Paul Cornell will be writing, and Mike Hawthorne will be the artist now. Spanning more than 25 novels and 20 short stories written by more than 40 different authors over three decades, the Wild Card series tells the story of an alternate 
recent history where Earth is home to superpowered individuals. When a human is infected with the alien wild card virus, the odds are they will be killed, which is referred to as drawing the Black Queen. Of those that survive, the bulk of them become jokers, left with some strange mutated form, and a lucky few are called the aces. Those gifted with superpowers, they can put those powers towards heroic goals or villainous ones. And y'all, y'all know what George R.R. Martin can do. This is going to be something you do not want to miss. Coming June 1st. Yeah, can I tell you, we got to have George R.R. Martin on Marvel's Declassified, that podcast. It's one of the last episodes in the series, and we have a bonus with him as well. But that interview is so fun. First of all, he was one of the first attendees of New York Comic Con ever. That is a fact. But on top of that, he was one of the old school letter hacks in Marvel Comics. He sent so many letters in. He's a huge Marvel fan. He has basically... I, th- I think he said he essentially has every Marvel comic from like the beginning of the Marvel universe for like the first 20 plus years or whatever. The man knows his Marvel. At one point, we did a different interview with him where he basically said Game of Thrones was highly influenced by his love of comics, and that's why he likes to kill his characters. Um, (laughs) So anyways, this man knows the Marvel Universe. He knows comics like nobody, and so I'm really excited to see his stories adapted here at Marvel. This is going to be fun, y'all. I'm very excited. I'm also very excited for Miles Morales and Moon Girl. Yes. It's the first of three one-shots coming this summer that team up Moon Girl with other heroes across the Marvel Universe, which is rad. Look, everybody's going to be talking about Moon Girl. we got a new animated series on the way, which is very cool. And then this issue is written by Mohale Masigo, who is a writer, an author. She's a, like a singer-songwriter. She's been doing a, a bunch of cool things with art by Iguara. We get to see Lunella Lafayette, a.k.a. Moon Girl, and, of course, Devil Dinosaur in a big, big adventure uh, across these three one-shots. So we're going to see her alongside Miles Morales in this first one, then with the Avengers, and then the X-Men. So I'm super psyched for this. Yeah, and keeping the Hasbro vibes going, Aletha Martinez is doing the cover, and she is a Hasbro artist. She's also done some cool how-to-draw stuff for us on our Marvel HQ channel. So very excited to see her name. She's wonderful. All right, next up, Squirrel Girl is, of course, one of my all-time favorite characters, and there is a new book, Squirrel Girl Universe. It's the next prose novel from Marvel and Aconite Books, Marvel Heroines line. Uh, It's written by Tristan Palmgren, and it's going to be available on August 2nd of 2022, but of course, you can pre-order it now, and of course, Dorian Green, aka Squirrel Girl, is going to be in a pickle. She and her friends are lost in outer space, and you know, they're going to need some oxygen and stuff, and uh, there's no squirrels to help them, so can Squirrel Girl survive space? without many squirrels i don't know we'll have to find out um i i love i love a squirrel girl book i love the ones by shannon and dean hale that uh we did with disney books a while back any story with squirrel girl is good with me because she is what the greatest then there's Marvel Superheroes, the ultimate pop-up book from Abrams Books, created by the paper engineer Matthew Renhart, available November 15th, 2022. You can pre-order now. You can watch Spider-Man swing over rooftops, pull tabs to transform Tony Stark into Iron Man and Bruce Banner into the Incredible Hulk. You can watch the X-Men take down a giant Sentinel and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know when you were a kid did you have pop-up books, but there's something about turning the page and like pulling a tab and something actually happening. 
It's like a cartoon in your hand that's not on some <laughs> kind of digital device that actually moves. You know, back before that, we had pop-up books. We didn't have iPhones and, you know, iPads. We just had a pop-up book. We're like, look, it moves. But look, this is going to be really, really cool. It's a great throwback. Besides, there's nothing like the Marvel superheroes in the ultimate pop-up book. You've got to get this November 15th, 2022. You can pre-order now. We talked a lot about things you can play with things you can read, but if you're tired and you just don't want to use your hands or your <laughs> eyes anymore, listen to some podcasts. Yes. How about the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther? Because episode three, Time for a Translation, is now available. In this episode, we uh, go to 1996 when Marvel filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but we had the Marvel Knights imprint, and that was the light at the end of the tunnel. And after his first solo series, Black Panther was in dire need of an upgrade. So with the help of Joe Quesada, Mark Teixeira, and Marvel's first African-American editor-writer Christopher Priest, the Black Panther was in for the glow-up of the century. This is the beginning of the Black Panther mythos we know and love today. This is a very exciting episode. Everybody on the show oh, yeah. loves some Christopher Priest-written Black Panther. So this is going to be an exciting episode. And we actually have a clip from Nick Stone's conversation with Christopher Priest right here. Priest knew it wasn't going to be as simple as writing the same old Black Panther comic. Comics have always been a product that was created by white males for white males. And if we're putting this thing into that distribution system, it's not going to stand a chance unless we address the fears, reservations, and prejudices, for lack of a better word, of the audience, of the people we're trying to reach. Black Panther couldn't just be cool and flashy. You know what? That was good. But what would be better is even one more clip. Enjoy. Priest was dedicated to elevating and, more importantly, reinforcing the lore that Kirby and Lee had built. If they planted the seeds of Afrofuturism in T'Challa's design and Don McGregor watered the soil, Priest was reaping the harvest. Back to Priest. So that and the vibranium claws, it gave him these lenses that helped him see in the dark and then the fans were, oh, he can already see in the dark. And I'm like, oh, go grow up. You know, but the bulletproof costume, the vibranium heels on his soul so he can scale walls effortlessly, you know, these kind of things. And I didn't even think these things were particularly innovative or progressive. I thought they were, this was kind of like the, the minimum standard. And of course, you can check out last week's interview that we did with Nick Stone. She's terrific. And you can listen to the first three episodes of the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther right now exclusively on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Episodes will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms in the U.S. Learn more at SiriusXM.com slash Black Panther. All right, we got even more podcasts happening, though. We've got Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow, Chapter 8 is now available. In fact, let's listen to a little teaser right now. It was all fake, a false memory implanted in my cortex. Last week, insurgents smuggled in an illicit nanopharmaceutical known as Extremis. She's about to hurt a lot of people. I decide when people get arrested. What happened down there? All I need, all I'm asking, is for you to bring her to me. She is so dangerous. You watch them take it. She's an enemy, not just Panopticog solutions or shield or President Red Skull. When they told me the widow was finally closing in, I decided to come in through the back door. Full neural access on Lisa Cartwright. How close did you get? Is she still here in the Onar? You'll kill her. You better watch yourself. What? 
If you liked what you heard, hang out because we are about to have on Nate Cordry from Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow. He was the voice of Jordan Temple there in that little clip. And of course, you can listen to the first eight episodes now exclusively on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Episodes are going to be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and of course, all other major podcast platforms in the U.S. Learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders. All right, now that you heard all of that, it is time for our interview with Nate Cordry, who plays Jordan on Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow. I got to speak to him about what it was like to get into character, about what a good old-fashioned Marvel nerd he is in his heart, and much more. This week in Marvel, we have a very special guest from Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow, Nate Cordry. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Lorraine. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Now, what is your Marvel origin story? What was the first way that you, you know, got to interact with Marvel characters, the Marvel universe, get to experience it? Yeah, for me, it was at my buddy Pat Tian's house in Weymouth, Massachusetts. He had, I think it was like he was raised by a single mom. I don't think his dad was around. And he was one of uh, my friends who got away with more stuff. Because, yeah, I think he had a sister and a brother. And the mother was just too busy trying to raise this family on her own to give him as much attention as he probably deserved. So he had, like, tons of comic books. He had tons of video games. You'd go to his house and be like, Ooh, what kind of cool stuff is happening over here? And so the first introduction into the Marvel world was through Daredevil. I remember being sort of shocked by it. It was a little like punk rock. I think what I was used to was like Archie comics. Maybe I just saw Captain America, like the cover of Captain America. And it was just like the American flag and the the American myth. And I saw Daredevil and I saw there was a famous cover of him holding like a 357 Magnum, like right at the reader. Yes. And it said like, I'm done I'm not going to be like, no more Mr. Nice Guy or something. Mm -hmm. It was the first time that I'd heard the expression Hell's Kitchen with the, you know, the Upper West Side, I guess below the Upper West Side, so the, you know, in the 40s and 50s on the West Side of Manhattan and why it was called Hell's Kitchen and how, and just the drawings were like, holy this is New York. And growing up in Boston, you have this sort of like parochial take on like, it's us against the world and I, and my, my limited knowledge of, New York was like the Yankees in violence. And so seeing <laughs> seeing Daredevil, it was like, yeah, okay, it, it's, it's that bad. Everyone is getting robbed every day. It's just like lawlessness. And the, the way that the, the story was told, they were, it was so gritty. And that was sort of my draw into the Marvel world. Their trust in the audience that they're willing to look at harder topics, like our, our sort of shadow selves, these things that are uncomfortable within us all that we don't like to engage in. Marvel tends, I think, to lean into those conversations. Um, so Daredevil was my door into the Marvel world. Oh, those comics from like the 80s and 90s, Daredevil especially, and all the street level sort of action and all of that is just Iconic storytelling for sure. What like what a crazy story to be inserted into as a little kid. But now you get to be a part of the Marvel Universe, also a grittier Marvel Universe, a post-apocalyptic future, if you will, in the Onar. I love your character. He brings me great joy. 
I feel like he is such a good student. He gets an A plus all the time. Where do we get to meet Jordan in the series? Yeah, Jordan is, I love that uh, you describe him as a student. He's um, very diligent. He's always on the message boards for sure. Like he knows every character and every sort of ancillary tertiary character. He knows the whole world. He's fascinated by them. He is like forever curious about this universe. And so he's sort of like the voice of the fan. And that's why it was so fun playing this part because he's, you know, the writer got to lean into sort of the nerdiness, the goofiness, the awkwardness in him. Mm. But as the series progresses, you see that this sort of nerd knowledge, you know, like really having the inside track on this universe benefits him in ways that it doesn't for some other characters who are trying to solve this puzzle. So I love that this sort of like good student, you know, passionate nerd character like gets his chance in the end to sort of prove himself. You know, the setting you're in is such a rich setting. You know, you are in this sort of futuristic apartment building, the Onar. What is Jordan's job in the Onar? Yeah, so the Onar is this sort of, you know, futuresque, impossible high rise. And because of the circumstances that we're in, in the future, security is of the utmost importance. And so there, there's sort of hints to... I guess like a sort of a, a post 9-11 view of, of America where we've been attacked, things have been destroyed, lives have been lost. And so we have to we have to correct this. And so we overcorrect too far in one direction. And so Jordan works in sort of the security world. But they do a lot of listening in on the residents of the Onar and this high rise in the middle of this of the city. And He's privy to all these different conversations and he's the first one to sort of put two and two together and make the link between Helen Black and the, and the Black Widow. His partner isn't as quick to see that. And so they're part of this like security apparatus. They're, they're almost like Big Brother, really, always making sure uh, to invade the privacy of these residents to make sure that everyone in the building remains safe. So he's always listening. So he's not getting the full picture. He's just hearing the audio. So he has to like pull these stories together in his head, which is also like the, the listener's journey, right? On any kind of scripted narrative podcast, you only have your ears. The actors only have our mouths and there's sound effects, of course, to bring the story to life. But it's really the writer's job to like fill in those blanks for the listener. So Jordan's sort of stuck listening as well. He's trying to fill in the blanks himself. When I first started listening to the series, he really pulled me in because honestly, you're really hearing the world through his ears in a way because he knows so much about the place and really drawing you in. I just really love him, too, because there's a wonderful like overheard in New York-esque quality of the enjoyment of overhearing people's personal conversations is so delightful and something that I kind of miss in this world where we're not always out and about as much. Were there particular things that you enjoy the most about that character in playing him? Being able to always like play at the top of your intelligence too is really mm -hmm. fun as an actor. Jordan is, like you said, he's a good student. He takes his job probably too seriously. And he's met with a lot of like eye rolls around the office and his coworkers are like, oh God, this guy enough. You're, you're making us all look bad. But he is so passionate about 
being a part of something. I think like he's always been, um, he's always sort of dreamed of like participating in some kind of like security espionage, you know, universe. And so he is a part of it, but not really until the circumstances of, of the narrative have him really participate and pick up a gun and try to solve big problems. And again, I don't want to give away any, any um, just little teasers here. I don't want to give away any, spoil anything, but to, to go from a guy who is head of the class, you know, at med school, but is, you know, maybe he's not so great, like with the scalpel, he gets to actually like, you know, live out his dream. You know, he, he gets to have his superhero moment. So to go on that path is, is really fun. Well, someone who is geeking out over everyone's lives and the dream of finding something has to be like the best day ever when you actually do discover the thing that you've been hoping to find. Obviously, you've done a ton of television work. What was it like to work entirely in audio for this project? Practically speaking, it was a challenge because as I've gotten older and I, and I spoke to Tim Busfield, the director of the series about this. Recently, as I've gotten older, I have terrible acid reflux and being a voiceover actor and having acid reflux, those things do not go together. So I had to be really mindful of what I was putting in my body 24 hours before I would record. So we've recorded over a, you know, a couple of weeks and I was very conscious about not having anything spicy, nothing like no tomatoes, no heavy <laughs> cream, because you're limited as a voice actor, right? You're trying to tell the story with one hand tied behind your back. So the one tool that you get is just your voice. That's all you have. And again, the designers are helping us a lot with the sound effects, building the world that we are mm -hmm. moving in. But to relate to one actor and to then relate to another actor, you're, you're, you're limited. So this was the only tool that we, that I had. But you know, you mentioned Timothy Busfield, who's lovely. We've talked to him here before. What was it like getting to work with him on the series, especially because, you know, he'd just come out of recording a previous Wastelander series. You know, Tim and I, I, we worked on a series together like 15 years ago, a television series called Studio 60, which was on NBC. We only did one one season of the show, but we were actors on the show together and he would also directed, I think five or six episodes. So we get to know each other really well during that year. And so I'd worked with Tim before. So there was a familiarity with him coming into this project, but I hadn't seen him in a long time in years. We hadn't crossed paths on another set, but we had a shorthand and he directed me in a lot of one take walk and talks, you know, spouting off mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorkin language. Right. I was very comfortable. I mean, the first time meeting Tim, I was like, holy, <laughs> this is this is the guy from Sneakers. This is the guy from 30 something. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy from Field of Dreams. You know, the list goes on and on. This is the guy from Nerds. Iconic. <laughs> yes, yes, Poindexter. So I was lucky to have a comfort level with him because as an actor, every time you come into a job with a new director, it's always first day of school. It's always the insecurities flare up. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. When you have a first day of first day school, it's always really stressful. So if you're prone to not thinking kindly about yourself, those alarm bells start to ring. So to have a director that I knew and trusted was a, a big advantage for me. And, and so I'm really grateful that it was 
Tim sort of guiding me through it because I'd never I'd never worked in the Marvel universe before and I was so excited. But with that comes, you know, expectations and nerves. And Tim is only lovely and kind and sort of an actor's director. So that was a joy. He was really wonderful to chat with as well. There's so many really great, lovely sort of small moments that you get to share. And it seems like you get to share a lot of the series with Lisa Cartwright, the character who's played by Justin Harmon. What was it like working on those scenes and developing that rapport? Obviously, it's kind of interesting because we're starting on her first day of work. Probably it was everyone's first day of work. But what was it like building that rapport and working together? It was uh, really effortless. We had some technical issues and the COVID of it all limited our interactions. I think if it was in a typical record, we would be in the studio together, uh, opposite each other, being able to make eye contact. It makes a big difference when you can look someone in the eye. So we could still do that, but she, of course, wasn't in the studio with me because of the um, code regulations we had to follow. But she was so natural. She was very easygoing. She took direction from Tim so with such ease and with such grace. She was really fun and easy to work with. It really didn't take much time for that distance to sort of disappear. And then it just felt like she was in the room with me. Now, my my brief time with Susan Sarandon is a different story because when you're working with Susan Sarandon, you have, if you're lucky enough to work as an actor and to find some success, you get to have these moments where you get to be a peer, you know, for a few minutes with a Titan. And again, no spoilers, but we uh, our connection between the two characters is limited to this sort of one moment. And to be able to like, make eye contact with her and have, and Tim encouraging us to improvise and go off the script when it was necessary and to not feel that we were locked into it. That again, takes trust from the writer, from the producer, from the director, to have that freedom to play and to push a little bit and go big, grow small, add, subtract, um, and made it really fun. You were also reunited with Justin Kirk from Perry Mason, is that right? Yes, yes. What a thrill that was. I love Kirk so much. He's so he <laughs> he is so smart and funny and so dry. He has such a wonderful sense of humor. And we had met a couple of times. We have some friends in common from New York, from like sort of the theater world. And we had worked at the same theater years and years and years ago. But we just we'd cross paths and we we are fans of each other, but we never worked with each other. So when he was on Perry Mason, we were able to work together and, and we were in these big courtroom scenes, which took several days to shoot because there was so much content from Perry Mason, obviously shot in the courtroom. And so we all had to be there. So it was a lot of downtime while they were setting up the camera for all these shots. And there's so many actors sitting off camera. It was Kirk and I and Stephen Root and John Lithgow and Juliet Rylance and Matthew, of course, Matthew Reese, Robert Patrick, these wonderful character actors who I've watched for years, Justin Kirk, who I really like, first fell in love with when he was in Angels in America, the HBO version that Mike Nichols directed. He's so good in that. Oh my God. It was such a thrill to meet someone who I, I, I really admire as a performer. So for him to get to improvise and like talk down to me and call me a nincompoop, and that was so, so much fun to be able to improvise with him. But he's, he's, uh, he's such a great actor. 
you guys were able to improvise a bit on the script and like loosen it up and play? Yeah, yeah. The writer Alex and Tim, it's really, you know, it's sort of this trust in the actors. And um, I think it was Elaine Aldoffer who, who cast it, who I know from New York from years ago. They put together a really clever cast and people who were able to think quickly on their feet and to be confident in their improv. I think you really need to like be willing to just like step out and trust that your scene partner will catch you. That was very easy to do with someone like Justin, you know, or Chastin. Like these these people have a lot of experience. And so you had a, a director encouraging us to take risks and then a bunch of actors who were willing to take risks. So that made it really fun. I can definitely hear that now. I it like clicked in my brain. I was like, yes, that's why it's so sort of alive uh, in those scenes. You know, you really get a feeling of like people at the office bandying about figuring things out that's really cool i didn't realize that tim has an expression just like let it tumble and every director has a different way of saying make it real which is basically what we're saying make it real Mm -hmm. trick the audience into into thinking that we don't know what's about to be said that's that's (laughs) that's really what this what this what my life is is about and having him having tim putting that image into my head it, it just clicked for me. I don't know. And the way that it was written, too, it was the the language is really accessible. Yeah. Alex Delisle, the writer on the series, is really phenomenal. Now, you said, you know, you don't want to let us know what's coming next as an actor, but I have to ask, what can you tease for us? What's going to happen for Jordan? Can you give us a little taste of what is to come? Mm. Well, the stakes are high in episode one. But Alex very cleverly cranks up the stakes from episode to episode. So mm-hmm. by the end, you know, we start with Jordan at a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the A student, as you so aptly described him, a really good student at his computer, being so wrapped up in his work and just trying to excel and move up the ladder and impress everyone. But being, a, a, you know, a, an office nerd. So we end with him. He gets to have his like, you know, once more into the breach, dear friends, kind of moment. <laughs> yeah, the last two episodes are, uh, they get really messy. So stick with it. <laughs> I'm here for the mess. I'm ready for Jordan to get his much earned Rambo moment. Um, I hope he has nothing but little pencils in his Rambo belt. Um, <laughs> incredibly tough. Now, before I, I release you out into the wild, I have to ask, is there anything that you want to say to Marvel fans who are hopefully picking up the show or are already listening? Oh, Yeah. It hits the bullseye of what every Marvel fan wants to hear, especially if you're a fan of Black Widow. You want this character to behave in a certain way because you're accustomed to her behaving in a certain way. Whatever way that you're entering into the world of of the Black Widow, you're hoping as an audience member that Marvel like just gives red meat to the fans. And... The fans of Black Widow will not be disappointed because Alex, the writer, really delivers. And it flies, too. The series, the series flies. And it's so fun to listen to. And I, I, hoped, I hope to do more. I, I, it, it was really fun to record. It was such a fun character to play. There was such an arc to him. And I really hope the Marvel fans enjoy it. I know they will. I've heard it for myself. They are going to love this one. Thank you so much, Nate, for hanging out and chatting. And congrats on the series. You're really phenomenal in it. Oh, thanks, Lorraine. That's really kind of you to say. I'm I'm glad I uh, got to chat with you about it all.
Big thank you to Nate Cordry from Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow for coming on the show. And before we move on, I wanted to give a somber note of recognition for a special person behind the scenes at Marvel. Her name was Nancy Murphy. She was a pillar of the Marvel office for over 40 years, and she recently passed away from Marvel's Twitter, quote, overseeing subscriptions and mailings, her kindness, care, and foresight paved the way for Marvel's history to carry on. And actually, artist J.L. Mast, he was the first person to let me know about Nancy's passing and, and really her contributions. So J.L. Mast posted, she was born in February 1932, worked 42 years for Marvel Comics, was the longest Marvel staffer after Stan Lee and right before Millie Sheriff. Nancy worked for the circulation department, was head of the subscription department, and, and for a while, for years, she was actually the whole subscription department. She really was kind of the first Marvel historian and archivist. She kept all the file copies and all those silver prints, negative photo stats. She actually convinced original publisher and owner of Marvel, Martin Goodman, to save most of the gelatin silver prints from the original Marvel comics published in the 60s, which means that whenever you see a fine reprint of one of those early Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, X-Men, or Avengers stories, she's the one to thank for having those in such great conditions. So... We mourn the loss of Nancy Murphy, but we thank her for all her contributions to Marvel and beyond. All right. It is time for our question of the week because we are talking about who's going to be on the show with us next week. It is writer, artist Jamie McKelvey, who is working on the upcoming Captain Carter series. So Jamie comes on to talk about writing the book, but also doing the costume design for Captain Carter and a bunch of other characters in there, as well as, you know, we, we talked to Jamie about all the amazing character designs he's done over the years for Marvel, including Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, some X-Men costumes, and more. And with that in mind, I think our question of the week is, what is your favorite costume redesign? It could be one of Jamie's, or it could be anything. You could think of, we were just talking about Black Panther a little bit ago. Uh, Black Panther had a really cool kind of redesign for Marvel Knights, uh, as opposed to you know, the original design that Jack Kirby did, but later on you had the, the cool with more of the gold in there and, and sort of a different look. That's a really great design. Of course, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel amazing. to me is like, you can't beat it because she went from the black bathing suit of Ms. Marvel to yeah. new title, Captain Marvel with the flight suit, with the red, blue, and gold. I mean, it was it was a redesign that launched a thousand cosplays, you know? Yeah. It's true. Um, I think Wolverine great costume redesigns over the years you go from the original blue and yellow to the brown and yellow look which if you're of a certain age that's your wolverine look. that's your wolverine well let's not forget just the x-men in general have had more costume that's redesigns yeah. than i got clothes i don't wear anymore in my closet yeah yeah there's nothing like seeing angel go from angel to archangel than you know, Ooh, did, those, you know what i'm saying i mean those that that was such a dramatic turn uh, in in the design and not just in the wings, but also in the costume design itself, that it kind of like it, it changed the whole game for that character. You kind of just went, oh wow, okay. So yeah, love it. Yeah, those are those are so good. All the Avengers members have had tons of costumes. Yeah. Shout out to Bomber Jacket era Avengers, where they all wore these like leather. Bomber oh my jackets. god, yeah, and that was, was like in the Cersei. Uh, oh yeah, Black Knight era, <laughs> early nineties, early nineties, big hair. A lot of leather coats. They White like vision. They were like the pink ladies. <laughs> <laughs> the pink ladies of Marvel Comics, aka 90s Avengers. Nice. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, nice. 
a lot of great options in there. We want to hear from you listeners. You can tweet your answers to what is your favorite Marvel Comics costume redesign using hashtag this week in marvel email them to twin podcast at marvel.com or send a message to our facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in marvel always of course please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show all right while you tweet us those answers and things let's get to our question of the week which last week was what's your favorite moment from the new trailer of marvel studios doctor strange in the multiverse of madness before we even get to our our answers what Lorraine, we should ask James. James, James, what was your favorite moment from the new trailer? Well, for, for those that know me, know that out of the MCU, my favorite movie is Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange. So I have been waiting. I love this character. I have a thing about magic. So every time he shows up, I am so excited, whether it be in Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame, I am so excited, or even, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home. So I am just so, so excited about this character. Chuito Echiofor is one of my favorite actors going back to Kinky Boots. So to see him mm. back in the Marvel Universe, I mean, just I, I love him. I've been waiting for his comeback since Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange, so the fact that he's here is great. Listen, out of all the films, when this one comes out, I'll be the first one at the theater. I am so, 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 so excited. I have watched this trailer too many times to to, to talk about. Heck yeah. Now let's hear from some of our listeners. We've got Devin Coulson at Devin Coulson, who says, Too many to choose from, but the tease of the different dimensions that will be explored through the multiverse of madness. Ooh. Yeah. Rin at Rin's Fandom Fun. The moment when Wanda tells Strange, you get to break the rules and become a hero. I do it and become a villain because I feel something big is about to go down and Wanda will get the time to show her full powers. I agree, yes, Rin. Yes, I, I'm looking yes. for that. Oof. Oof. Joe Mark Magbanua at Joe Mark underscore Magbanua says Wanda's That Doesn't Seem Fair line easily tops one of my best MCU quotes and the fact that it made a huge controversy speaks volumes about how true her words are. Many were mad, but a lot more yassed with her. (laughs) Wanda, you are a queen. Indeed, yes, queen. I'm so excited. All right. Next up, Colby Jefferson at Colby Jefferson says, that whole portal jumping scene where Strange and America are being broken apart into cubes. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Ruined at Ruined X Josh. My favorite moment in the trailer was when a mystery voice said, we should tell him the truth. Chills, y'all. Chills, chills, chills. Leon at Leonator says, the yell I let out when Strange enters the room with the mystery voice. Next up, Paolo Nicole at Vansini Rum says, my favorite moment was the background voice who said, we should tell him the truth. It blew my mind. One of the best trailers of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Spider-M at underscore Eminem. This scene with Wanda back in Westview, a close second is we should tell him the truth. Everybody loves that. All right, we got some Facebook messages in here. The first is from Damon Boser, who says, I see that my favorite part of the Marvel Studios Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness trailer was when Wanda was talking about the superhero double standard between herself and Doctor Strange. I hope by the end that standard no longer exists. Yeah. All right, we got a Facebook message here from Dustin Radcliffe who said, Hello, Lorraine and Ryan. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man fan here. How are you? It's been a while, but I've been listening to your show, catching up with everything Marvel. So much going on. Wow, I almost can't keep up. 
I'll get right to it. I absolutely was blown away by Spider-Man No Way Home and exceeded all of my expectations. I laughed, I cried, and by the end, grinning cheek to cheek with a rush of nostalgia, taking me back where it all started. Amazing. I hope you both enjoyed it as much as I did. And now we have Marvel Studios Moon Knight. And oh my gosh, Marvel Studios... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That trailer was insane. So glad Sam Raimi has returned to Marvel after all those years to direct. Can't wait. And that's just within the first half of the year. Another epic year of Marvel ahead. This is what I live for. Now the question of the week. What was your favorite moment from that Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer? Where do I even start? I could talk about this all day. I'm excited for all of the possibilities of what could be. It was a lot jam-packed into two minutes, but I won't go into heavy details. Given that it was just Elizabeth Olsen's birthday, shout out to a fellow February baby. I will go with one of my favorite moments that stood out in the trailer. When Wanda calls out the double standard for when the rules get broken. Why is Strange labeled the hero and her the enemy? Great stuff right there. Really excited for this film. New characters, worlds, and madness and zombies! All wrapped up into what will surely be an epic and crazy adventure through the multiverse. I can't wait. Let's go! Woo! Hell yeah! Email from Jake Bolton. I have to say I love the whole trailer, but if I had to pick a couple of favorite parts, it would be when Evil Strange shows up towards the end. Close second would be when he cuts the bus in half. Super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to give a shout out to a message we got on Facebook from James Hutt. Thanks for messaging us. And also I want to give a big shout out to professional wrestler and former guest on the show, Johnny Gargano, uh, as he and his wife, Candice LeRae, also a professional wrestler, welcome their baby into the world. Now their baby is named Quill. This is so cool. And if you've seen the picture of Quill, tiny little baby Quill, is named after Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill. He's got all kinds of Guardians of the Galaxy stuff around there. Johnny is a huge Marvel fan. I was texting with Johnny, and we we ended up just talking about baby poop, which is, you know, what, <laughs> Love that what for you, you do as a new yep. dad, a new parent, um, which is great. But I adore Johnny and Candace, and they're the best. And uh, we wish them all the best and all the love bringing their new Marvel fan into the world. That kid's gonna have a great life. He's gonna be a superhero who can do amazing dives off the top rope. Just oh my God. <laughs> I think it's time for us to all go do our things because this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Kara McGurk, Allison, Lorraine Sink, James Monroe, Igor Hart, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Our director of audio is Jill DeBoff. And special thanks to JMI for coming back. Our prodigal son returns. <laughs> We're so happy to have you back, James. So glad to be here. Because you know, when you want to win, you get three friends that are on to him. Hey! I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And I'm James. And this is Marvel. Your universe. universe. I love to